Well, welcome everybody to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am one of your hosts, John Robb, joined here by my wonderful co-host, Jeff Fares. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great. Hope you're doing well. We have a very exciting show today. We are going to be speaking with author Casey Barrett, talking about the next book in uh, the series that he has coming out. And it's coming out, and I think August 27th is what I saw. Um, and the book is called The Tower of Songs. And it is the next book in the Duck Darley mystery series, so that'll be very interesting. I want to also remind everybody that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their authors and what else they have going on. And I believe Casey is one of their authors, so we're just bringing Correct. him to you right here. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so, hey, well, Casey, thanks so much for coming yep. on. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Jeff. Oh, did we leave Jeff? No, I'm uh, here. Go ahead. Oh, okay, Jeff. I thought Jeff was going to say something. Never mind. Jeff doesn't. <laughs> Jeff doesn't talk too much. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so Casey, man. Hey, again, want to thank you so much for coming on and talk about your latest book, The Tower of Songs. Again, the next in your Duck Darling mystery series. Give us a little bit about what you got going on in here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked for uh, for this one. It's my my third book, uh, the third book in the Duck Darley series. Uh, it is it is coming out Tuesday the 27th, and uh, and this one, the Tower of Songs. Uh, it's it, for those Leonard Cohen fans will recognize it. He's uh, Leonard Cohen's one of my favorites, so it's uh, a nod to uh, to that song, Tower, Tower of Song. Um, but it's it references these uh, these super talls, which I guess skyscrapers wasn't. Um, it needed we need a new adjective in New York, so instead of skyscrapers they're now super talls, which are these uh uh horribly ugly uh high rises that are over a thousand feet and are currently scarring the skyline in midtown on uh they're they're calling billionaires row um so so that was kind of the uh the hook for me was seeing the these uh these giant uh money laundering machines going up all over fifty seventh street and it, it, to me it was uh it was an irresistible uh opportunity to do some uh, some good uh, thriller storytelling in these buildings. Well, I have to ask, uh, the name Duck, um, I'm, that's like the worst name ever for somebody. <laughs> could you talk a bit about, I'm, it's a nickname, but could you talk a bit about that? Sure. Uh, so, so Duck got, uh, got his nickname. It's actually, I think he, even though it's, um, it's it's probably not the the best nickname just because it rhymes with fuck. So uh, so I'm sure he got that plenty growing up. But um, hey, I'm not saying there's he, nothing I, wrong with that. Um, well, I, I think I, I think he'd prefer it to his given name, which is Lawrence Starley Jr. Because um, as I established in the first uh, couple books in the series, he's um, he's a bit of a, a son of a Madoff. I like to describe him. Um, his father, Lawrence uh, Senior, um, was a Bertie Madoff type who uh, was once a um, a high high rolling guy on the Upper East Side who uh, was uh, was quite the fraud and is now serving life in prison in North Carolina, um, same as as Bernie uh, Madoff is himself. Um, so so Duck I think really relishes having a uh, another moniker that uh, that separates him from his father. And when he was a kid, he was uh, he was a young swimmer with some promise. And uh, like a lot of swimmers, I was a swimmer myself, and a lot of swimmers I know. Um, he, he moved with kind of a, a weird shuffling walk. Um, swimmers, I, I like to think, are they're not exactly athletes. I mean, they're, they're athletes in terms of being good at a certain specialized sport, but we're not really land athletes. So a lot of swimmers, and the way I imagine Duck, is, is a pretty uh, clumsy land athlete. So um, his nickname comes from, really, 
walking like a, a little bit of a waddle. Gotcha, gotcha. So the, the, the one thing that I love about the, the, the character is the unlicensed part because I like characters that can kind of not have to worry about rules, can kind of kind of do on their own, kind of like a Mike Hammer kind of thing that you know kind of brings me to mind, you know, those kinds of uh, characters. So when you were deciding that you know you were bringing Duck to the to the forefront and that was going to be the character that was going to launch your series, starting back with Underwater, going through Against Nature, and now the Tower of Songs. What what was one of the like personality traits or the things that you wanted to make sure that kind of Duck has, and have you been able to kind of maintain your thought process throughout the three books? Yeah, well, in in terms of the unlicensed part, it was. Um it was important to me that that be a necessity, not uh, not by choice, um, because Duck is a convicted felon. He did uh, 13 months for dealing weed um, when he was uh, about 20 years old, and now I, I do love just the the bizarre hypocrisy of it. That um, soon soon enough weed will be legal everywhere. Um, so, of all the chips on uh, Duck's shoulder, that's that's a significant one. That he's a convicted felon because he was a weed dealer when he had very other uh, recourses as far as making a living. Um, you know, around their age, he should have been in college, but um, was not going to be uh, heading on, on any kind of respectable path. Um, and also, I was I was really um, I was really I think overly nervous about coming across as uh, as too much of like a, uh, a a son or second coming of Matt Scudder, maybe because I'm such a huge Lawrence Block fan. Um, he uh, you know his Matt Scudder was an unlicensed private eye and. On, on the far west side, Midtown West, New York, and I always I loved the Scudder books so much, but I really I I really just was very very careful, maybe overly careful, to separate myself from Scudder, and um, and with that with that in mind, I wanted him to have a, a real reason why he couldn't be unlicensed, and that means he's a felon. And also, as, as many as the uh, you guys hear me, sorry. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Sorry, I thought we... Oh, oh, you there? I thought my headphones... Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we um, got gotcha. you. Yeah, 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 hopefully. we're good. <laughs> I, I heard my headphones dying, and I was like, oh, shit, all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't remember where... where well, with, I, with I was Matt thinking Scudder Duck was and, smacking you somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, but I just, you know, of all the tropes that uh, that I think everybody likes or I like about uh, private eye fiction, one of the things I always kind of bristling against is the uh, the ex-cop uh, that becomes a private eye. That's, even though um, Block and my other, another favorite, Kim Bruin, are ex-cops that become private eyes, that's something that, I don't know, I was I was brought up to have a really healthy, distru- not maybe unhealthy uh, uh, mistrust for cops um, or any kind of official law enforcement, um, and I, I think I still do. So, you know, when I wanted to start writing about a, um, a guy who was, Helping to solve crimes um, in the city, it, or, or really kind of not so much helping to solve crimes, but helping people that would not otherwise go to police. Um, I was very, very careful to try to separate myself from that whole traditional ex-cop. Something went wrong, and now, uh, now you now you do it without a badge. Um, that's that's not where my guy's coming from, and it's just a product of my own uh, my own upbringing, being brought up to mistrust cops. Oh, so I gotta ask, what prompted the move to wanting to write crime fiction in the first place? <laughs> but um, be, because I mistrust. <laughs> 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 um, it, 
It, it was um, it was really an or- organic thing. I mean, well, I'm a hugely voracious reader, always have been, but um, I guess around around my, my mid twenties or so, I just I went down the, this rabbit hole, and I still really haven't quite emerged from it. Um, where you know the the McDonald's, I kind of always pair them, but Ross McDonald, and John D. McDonald are are largely to blame, and I just you know I I found in them like the sense of okay you can write relatively short ish novels you know 250 to 350 pages, but you know and it's, it is a line from from Ross McDonald, but it's all one case and it kind of becomes this really long running epic of a. Of character development, and I I love that about it. I still love that about crime fiction, and I don't know. The, you can never exhaust all the uh, the incredible series out there. So um, that, I think that's what attracted me most to it. Was I just I love this this long unresolved arc of a damaged character um, who will never really yeah. find resolution, but will always find new adventures and new way to uh, new ways to explore his demons. So I just. I, I love. I'm more. I think. I don't know. I'm more a reader than a writer in terms of how much time I spend with each. So I just. That's that's what I love to read the most. So why wouldn't I try my hand at writing what I love to read most? I agree. I, I was, like fucked up characters too. <laughs> well, what was the spark that got you to say, "Hey, I love reading this. I can do this myself." Uh, the, it, I, I'll be honest. It, it wasn't a spark. It was more like. I love reading this, and I need if I want to write it, I have to really take it uh, take it seriously. And I, I I describe it to my wife as kind of um, undergoing a really personal years long PhD in crime fiction, where I didn't even tell anyone I wanted to write it. I didn't tell anyone that was what I was up to, except for my wife. And gradually, you know, my bookshelf started to uh, to be consumed by uh, by crime series. And uh, I don't know. I think probably about five years went by where that was. Literally, almost all I was reading, and at some point you have to realize, like, all right, you can do this for your life, and you can read all, all the Ross McDonalds or James Lee Burks, you can, and or James Elroy or whoever, and and feel less and less confident about yourself, <laughs> more confident. Um, so, so at some point, I I, just, I felt like you know I have a real handle on this genre. I really I I really feel like I. I know it. I feel like I'm versed in it. And I feel like I could write academic papers about it. So, you know, it was time to try my hand at it. And the more I, the more I write that, the more I'm impressed by the people that I'm trying to write, um, you know, somewhat in their in their vein. And, you know, I'm, I'm standing my look at my bookshelf, and there's, you know, the McDonald's, James Lee Burke, Elroy, all these guys are just they're they're a high standard. They're a high standard. Far beyond any kind of genre fiction, they're high standard to to fiction and to, to every kind of writing. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> hardest thing: winning an Olympic medal or writing a book. <laughs> well, the <laughs> I think writing a uh, writing a book is is a lot more uh, democratic in terms of uh, if you know you, you need some chops, but you also you can uh, not not anyone can approach it, but there's a lot more people that uh, can approach it, and uh, and if you put in the time and you put in the homework and you get through writing it, you can do it. Winning Olympic medal is it's I hate to say it, but it's almost a, a genetic lottery, and that genetic lottery comes with an obscene amount of work, and you have to be masochistic about your training and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm I'm far enough removed now. I'm 20 years away from having been a competitive athlete that you know. I, 
as much as I thought that I was like the hardest worker or, or I really earned it or whatever other nonsense you tell yourself, you have to realize at some point that the people on top of Olympic podiums or, or in the Olympics at all are, they're, they're born with this just bizarre genetic lottery gift. And, and that's kind of the prerequisite that, uh, that's, I mean, it's just, I think that's true of all professional sports. And I think a lot of professional athletes could probably use that humility to know that they, they won the genetic lottery and, uh, maybe their ego could, uh, could use, use a little bit of, a uh, tampering down when, when they recognize that, uh, if, Ooh, if not nice. for, for certain physical gifts, you're not, you're not going to be anywhere. True. Well, the one thing though, being an Olympian, um, that has, you know, has to have helped you being an author is the dedication that you need and the discipline you need to be a swimmer and to even make it that far, even though, you know, like you said, there is some, you know, genetic lottery, but you still have to have the discipline and the wherewithal to make it that far to wake up every morning, whether it's 4 a.m. and the eating and everything you do. So that has to help, that had to help you, though, become a discipline with an author when you're like, no, honey, I got to sit down and write these 5,000 words. No, I got to get this done. No, I got to get this done. Do you think that there's a correlation there? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, if anyone is asking me what, you know, if I have one talent, you know, above, above any others, I would say it's I have, I have some uncommon discipline. Um, and maybe that can also come across as selfishness or ruthlessness sometimes when your, your own personal obsessions or pursuits and, for me, whether it's writing or, or swimming or whatever else, it was never, uh, they've never been financial pursuits. They've never really been like tangible commercial pursuits. They're just some, some odd obsessions in a way. Um, so yeah, the, the discipline is just, if, there's so many insanely talented people that don't have the discipline to, uh, to follow through and get things done. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm really grateful that at least I have that. Whatever I, I lack yeah. of physical or intellectual gifts, I definitely have, uh, a, uh, an unnatural uh, amount of discipline. I, I'm fascinated by the environment you grew up in when you were a competitive swimmer because we're talking fractions of a second, meaning the difference between success and failure. And I, I wonder if you could talk a bit about that and relate it to when you were ready to start your publishing journey, going out, getting an agent, and things like that. Um, can, can you draw a line between those two? Yeah, I mean, you in, in both pursuits, you I think you learn how to absorb failure, um, and, and failure becomes uh, you know kind of a, a standard part of your uh, your upbringing and, and part of your your expectations. Where you don't get a well, you do you do get I was gonna say you don't get devastated by failure, but you do you absolutely do. But you learn <laughs> you learn how to uh, to keep your ego intact despite it. Um, but it's I, I was thinking about it this morning because there's something in the New York Times on uh, on Michael Phelps and how he's um, apparently um, you know incredibly against all odds well adjusted and and has found some stability in his life um, after you know being the most successful Olympian in history but also really being a a basket case in terms of mental health and which is he's freely admitted and um, I grew up with on the same team as the Phelps family I was very very close to his oldest sister um and just I kind of came up the exact same way in the exact same environment so the um the lack of mental health <laughs> around um really um really elite overachieving swimmers like that um and I guess it's it's all athletes but swimmers just because of the sensory deprivation they're kind of notably insane 
Um, so I, I just read that story on, on Phelps in the Times today, and I just, you know, you couldn't help, I couldn't help but reminisce a little bit because his, uh, cool. his, his, his kind of loon, loony mental health challenged upbringing um, in Baltimore um, was, it served him very, very well to become the greatest Olympian ever, but um, it's, it's almost more impre- impressive when somebody like that comes out the other end and actually, by, by all accounts, seemingly has this, you know, stable, healthy, great family life, which I know, I know an awful lot of uh, former athletes that uh, that is not the case. And, uh, you know, right. addiction looms large. Uh, mental health is, uh, is, a, is a challenge, and, you know, they, these things, uh, they don't go away easily, and they don't get fixed easily. Yeah. So, so is writing therapy for you? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, my, I guess my, if you ask my, my wife, my two forms of therapy are, uh, writing fiction and my, uh, my dog Walter, who is my, uh, emotional support animal. <laughs> I guess it's not officially it, but I got one of those bogus cards off the internet that says he is, so. <laughs> well, then, hey, the internet doesn't lie. Of course. Oh, I mean, I, I no. checked yes it's, it's when I, true. when it said I have a doctor, so that, you know, yeah. and they sent me a, a laminated card. That says it must be true. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. how? I mean, before you kind of got into crime, you know, like crime fiction. How close maybe were you, or did you maybe want to get away instead of doing, of course, what you, you know, what you could have done would have been like a murder mystery series wrapped around, you know, swimming or wrapped around sports in that way. Did you just want to get away from that, and that's kind of why you went more in this crime fiction kind of way instead of doing what? Could have been just like a nice, easy little thing. It's, I, I mean, I think that's um, that's something I'm, I'm trying more and more to move away from now. I mean, my my first book is called Underwater, and it really does go t- to a lot of it's. It explores the the sexual abuse inherent in in a lot of uh, competitive swimming environments. So that's something that I I did tap uh, definitely early on, and part of it maybe was maybe a little bit mercenary. Of me, or just, or just being, being, having the rational knowledge that, look, I, I have somewhat of a unique biography as far as uh, someone that's writing crime fiction. So, I needed to sell myself, and I had a, an instinct that, uh, that, that tapping that world that I knew in a really, really um, deep and sometimes disturbed way um, was was something that one, I, the first two books did not really require a lot of outside research, just because I knew the, the terrain so intimately. Um, and this this new one is, it, I mean, it was it was by far the most fun for me to write um, because it required me to get outside myself and and really really do some some research and reporting. I mean, I was a journalism major who I don't really use that that uh, intellectual muscle anymore as far as reporting and interviewing people and asking questions. And it's uh, it feels good to use it. So uh, you know, it was really fun to be able to to do some some honest reporting um, about. You know, the super talls, the the you know this the this insane kind of big scale corruption um, that goes on in these thousands thousand foot towers that are empty ninety nine percent of the time. I mean, it's just a subject that is it's so far outside my experience, um, but it's something that I, I just I I don't know what what really uh, sparked it, but I'm I'm so fascinated by it, and it's just in plain sight. You can look out any window almost anywhere in Manhattan. You can see the top of these things anywhere. Yeah. Right. Do you th- do you think then, since this book, like you said, was a little was a lot more research, a lot more you were a lot more into that way, that readers will notice a little different 
Casey Barrett Ryder from Underwater and Against Nature to the Tower of Songs? Like, do you think that, you know, do, do you see a progression in your writing from, from that standpoint? Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I mean, I mean, it is to get, get better every time, uh, you release something new. And I, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm most proud of, of this one. I think it's, uh, it's the best thing I've written. And I think a product of that is one, you just, you know, you have two under your belt and you feel a little bit more confident. But the other thing was, you know, I just, I, I did some honest, uh, to goodness homework and I, I was writing outside myself as far as, I really wasn't tapping into personal experience in, uh, in, in any way, um, certainly it, uh, as compared to the, the first two books. And I, uh, I don't mean to, to criticize this first, I'm really proud of them. Um, but this this third one feels like I just got outside of myself and uh, you know and, and and took a step forward um, in a way that I'm, I'm stoked about. Hope other people uh, see it as well. Cool. That's cool. That is very cool. Um, yeah. One of the one of the characters I adore is uh, Cass in her relationship with Duck. I'm wondering if you could talk a bit about Cass. Yeah, she's my. I mean, she's my favorite character. Um, so, I can see that. Uh, yeah, she's um, she's. It's easy to pinpoint her just because her day job, so to, so to speak, is as a dominatrix. So immediately, once you throw that kind of provocative um, alternative lifestyle out there, that's that's all um, that people think about. But I so in, in her, this is going to sound maybe a little bit bizarre the way she was kind of inspired in my head, but uh, I was a huge Encyclopedia Brown fan when I was a kid. Loved him. Oh my God, and, I loved Encyclopedia Brown. Right, so so yeah. Sally Kimball. I, I did Sally as well, Kimball but I was, don't think Dominatrix. <laughs> well, but, but Sal, Sally hey. Kimball was was the one that was sticking up for Encyclopedia, and she was like yep. the smarter, tougher partner. So right, so Cass's last name is Kimball. It's it's a nod to Sally Kimball, and um, oh. you know I didn't mean to so overtly sexualize her uh, her profession and her her appearance, but I I think of her as Sally Kimball grown up and. Duck is a supremely twisted alcoholic version of Encyclopedia Brown, I guess. <laughs> nice. I love it. So, Casey, where's the best place for everyone to find out about your work? Where's uh, your social media and everything? So my my social media is really, in terms of day-to-day use, is, is limited to my Instagram, but I am on my Instagram, Casey Barrett Books, all the time, um, and I do post frequently there. I technically have a Twitter and Facebook, but I can't say I've been on it uh, any time in recent memory. Um, so it's, it's Instagram. It's my, my email, which I will always reply to is Casey at imagineswimming.com, which is also on my website. And my site is caseybarrettbooks.com. Beautiful. Hey man, this has been a pleasure, uh, to speak with you and so cool. You got Bob Costas to blurb the book. I mean, that's pretty cool. Too. <laughs> that was nice of him. That was really nice of him. I appreciate <laughs> you it. You know, and little did you know that a little, uh, a little known author blurbs your first book underwater and you had no idea that he was going to be as big as he was. So you need to put that one on the next one, but Adrian McKinty. <laughs> I mean, is, is there a cooler story in, uh, in fiction than Adrian McKinty right now? Well, just to let you know, we interviewed Adrian. Well, just to let you know, we interviewed Adrian two hours after he found out that news. We were the first ones to talk to him. Oh, how cool! It was just happened and to be was, by was, chance. Was he, just, was he just beside himself, thrilled? He was. He was. It was like speaking to a lottery winner when they just realized they won. They just had the winning ticket. Dude, he. So yeah. I got to meet him very recently um, at a couple of readings, and we had a mutual friend introduce us. And he is like, I mean, it, there's no one you could be happier for 
he, I just saw his name on, on number 15 on the bestseller list last week in the in the Sunday yeah. Times, and I like I did a like a literal fist bump and like like shout out yes, just because it's like damn, I mean, the man wrote 14 critically acclaimed books and was about to leave writing, and then he comes through with this yeah. like it, yeah. he was making a, two grand a, a year on his writing, and he he, yeah. he had awards and was making two grand a year and was like fuck it, I'm driving for Uber. <laughs> yep, he's like I got to start providing for my family, and yeah. then he writes yeah. this. I, and the chain is. Then like, he writes this. Yeah. It's incredible. It's my favorite story I think I've ever heard in publishing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Um, wishing nothing but the best. Can't wait to see maybe what you got book four, what you got coming out in the future. So keep us up to date, and we will speak with you soon, man. Sounds good. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank have you. a good one. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye.